Game Changer Episode 22, The Octalysis, Eight Core Drives of Gamification, featuring Yukai Chow. Welcome to Game Changer, a series on using gamification to engage employees. Join us as industry experts discuss one of the hottest trends in business today. Using game thinking to engage employees in work, wellness, recruiting, and more. This is a special podcast series by the producers of the top-rated podcast, The Engaging Leader. And now, with nearly 20 years of experience helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees at Fortune 500 companies and other organizations, here's your host, Jesse Leahy. Welcome to the show, Game Changers. This is the show for CEOs, HR executives, and other business leaders to learn about internal gamification. Over the course of this series, you'll hear examples and pitfalls, discover how to assess when it's an appropriate strategy, and learn to evaluate gamification partners and game design ideas. I am Jesse Leahy, and our guest today is Yukai Chow. Yukai was one of the earliest pioneers in gamification. In fact, he's one of the first people I ever paid attention to, especially after I saw a presentation he made to eBay, which very much influenced my perspective on gamification. Yukai Chow, welcome to Game Changer. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yukai, you've been involved in gamification long before that was even a term, going back to 2003. Can you can you tell us how you got started and what, what made you so interested in this field? Okay, sure. So uh, before 2003, like many others of my age, uh, I was a very, very heavy gamer. And whatever game I played, I needed to be really, really good at it. And so call ourselves hardcore players, right? So every moment, you know, we're not playing, we're still thinking about it, strategizing, um, reading, reading guides, doing planning. We sometimes use Excel spreadsheets to, um, to optimize our game. So the last game I was playing was called Diablo 2. And, um, and I spent a lot of time playing it. And then it came to a point where some of my friends uh, start quitting and moving on to new games. So I quit too. And then I felt extremely empty. You know, I felt, hey, I spent thousands and thousands of hours of my life, you know, love getting more experience, leveling up, um, improving, improving my gears and all that stuff. And then, you know, all of that is going to disappear. You know, it just feels like part of my life just went to nothing. And so, um, and so I just felt like, hey, if I spend all those hours, you know, learning a language or playing the violin, you know, that would be super awesome, right? I would be leveling up in real life. It will, I'll be doing things that actually make a difference. So since then, I've been obsessed with uh, two things. One is how to make games more productive, and two, how to make games more, uh, or how to make games more productive and how to make life more fun. Um, and so I started creating this lifestyle gamification concept. Back then, it was it had a really lame name called the FD Lifestyle, uh, treating your life like a hardcore gamer. And uh, I started a few companies related to gamification. One was more about using games to help companies recruit talent more efficiently, and the other one was uh, more of a like a leaderboard for for how influential everyone is on the internet, um, and was popular among bloggers. And then reward me, which is bring gamification offline space. So so and then. Uh, eventually, I, I stopped doing my startup stuff. I stepped down as CEO of, of Reward Me about a year and a half ago, 
And that allowed me to just dedicate 100% of my time to my passion, which is gamification. Now, when you're devoting 100% of your time to that, are you, what do you mean by that? Are you actually creating gamification apps or are you just consulting and advising companies? Yeah, mostly consulting and advising. So what I call, you know, I'm pretty much the equivalent of a game designer in a game. So the game designer is not the one that creates the graphics, the animation, not the one that does the coding, but designs the experience. Like what do users see? What do they feel? What do they what do they do? And that's what I do for for uh, for companies. I help them plan out, you know, help them define all the things necessarily things. I I, th- I throw out my framework octalysis that we'll probably go into. Um, and then I tell them what is the experience they should design for their their clients. And oftentimes I end up creating a lot of wireframes for them and then they have their own uh, graphic designers or, or programmers to to make it come to reality. Well, I do want to jump into Octalysis, but before then, when, when I saw your presentation that you made to eBay, which of course you did explain all about Octalysis, but the before you got into that level of detail, there was this big aha for me when you showed the difference between, I think it was a user-based design and functional-based design. And Ah. you said, think about it like an amusement park versus, let's say, like a cubicle farm. Yeah, so... So I think the real name for uh, gamification is actually human-focused design as opposed to function-focused design. So uh, most most systems are function-focused. They optimize on efficiency. Right, so that's kind of like a factory where you kind of you assume the workers in the factory will do their work, and you just try to figure out how to increase, maximize output, maximize production. Right, um, human-focused design is design that remembers people in the system have feelings, have motivations, have insecurities, have reasons why they do or do not want to do something, and it tries to optimize for that, optimize for motivation. So that's kind of like a like a theme park where. You design it to be really, really fun, and then you can predict that people will automatically want to line up for hours and hours uh, just because they want to enjoy the experience. And and the reason why uh, we call it gamification is that the gaming industry is the first to master human-focused design because games have no other purpose um, than to entertain the human, right? And of course, there's like some made-up purpose like killing the dragon, saving the world, sometimes saving a dragon. But those are really just <laughs> excuses, to, you know, like excuses to, to, to please the human, right? So games have spent decades or even centuries, depending on how you define games, um, to master human-focused time. There is no purpose. No one, no one needs to play this game. They only do it because it is fun and because they, they take that as a given and they try to optimize it. Now we're learning from games, and so we call it gamification. Hmm. And when companies hire you as a consultant, are they coming to you when they already have an idea, or a, a, a or like a first stage, and then you sort of point out to them, well, this is not actually human focused, and this fails on this level yeah. and this level, or are they coming to you with a blank sheet of paper where where you kind of wire it, it, it's, it's across the board. It's across the board. Across. Uh, stages and also uh, field. So, so some some of them are come to me and they say, "Hey, we want to improve our product, and uh, or we don't have anything, or we want to add game to our product. Can you help us with something?" So either I evaluate what they have already and, and help them improve, or I help them design something from scratch. 
Some of them want marketing gamification, which is how to make our marketing campaign more engaging instead of just getting eyeballs that don't count as much these days because of filters that people have nowadays. Um, and so a lot of a lot of the biggest companies come for for culture, uh, workplace gamification, basically motivating employees to to work harder. And what's really interesting, remember we talked about you know, no one has to play games. Google actually has a really good gamified culture because Google starts off with a with a mindset that. They, you know, they assume that every one of their employees is an entrepreneur or can or wants to be an entrepreneur. So no one has to be there. So that's why they have to constantly think about how to optimize their culture, their workplace, to make people want to be there, to make them enjoy being there. And that's why you learn about some epic meaning calling, like like strong uh world-changing messages, right, 20% time, things like that, whereas the mistake that most large companies make is they assume, well, they're our employees, we give them a paycheck, so we're going to power trip on them, you know, we're not going to make them feel that fulfilled, and, and so that's a, that's a huge difference. Big difference. Well, let's jump into the Octalysis gamification framework. You outline eight core drives of gamification. Can you, can you break those down for us? Sure. So... The reason why I created Octalysis was because, you know, about three, three, four years ago, gamification became more of a buzzword. And for one, it makes me happy because people actually cared about what I cared about. Um, but two, it was worrisome because there's so many misconceptions in the industry, and there's a lot of people who who jump out and say, "Hey, I'm an expert in gamification," and, and you know, they can talk about the future about it but they're not very well versed in, in what it actually is. So it reminded me of you know social media a few years ago where everyone can talk about how great it is, but when you hire them, all they knew how to do was create a, a Facebook profile and a, a, a Facebook fan page and Twitter profile. Mm-hmm. Um, so now like everyone is really obsessed with what we call the PBLs, the points, badges, and leaderboards. So whoever, you know, people who do gamification is like, all right, let's see where can we put the, put the badges in. And... Um, I'd say, how can we do points? And so my big thing is that, hey, look, games aren't fun because they have these points, badges, leaderboards, or even just game mechanics as a whole. If you look at it, most every single game out there has game mechanics, game elements in them. But still, most games are not well-designed. Most games suck. Most games are financial losers. So it's very naive to, to think that, hey, if I just take these game elements that are also in all these failing games, put it in my product, and it'll automatically be successful. Um, so, so I created this framework to make people, uh, think about better gamification design, which is, you know, games are not fun because they have game elements, but because they focus on our core drives. So I broke down motivation into eight core drives and I believe that everything you do, um, is, is based on one or more of these eight core drives. There's also a ninth hidden core drive, but depending on context, we may or may not need to get there. Um, so, so. And a quick overview of those. The first core drive is epic meaning and calling, which is uh, the concept of you're doing something because it's something bigger than yourself. And this is why people uh, contribute to Wikipedia, not to make money, not even to update their resumes, but they feel, but because they feel like they're protecting humanity's knowledge. You know, it's a much bigger picture. Uh, and then there's development accomplishment core drive two, um, which is. Which is, you know, feel the feeling that hey, I'm leveling up, I'm growing, I'm achieving mastery, right? And this is where a lot of the points badges leaderboards fall into. It's just like hey, I'm growing, you know, I'm tracking my progress, things like that. Um, and then there's empowerment of creativity and feedback, number three, um, and that's that's like Lego. You know, you give users the basic building blocks, 
and there's an infinite amount of ways for them to use their creativity, try different combinations, see feedback immediately, very important here, see feedback immediately, and then figure out, okay, I like this, or I don't like it, let me go back and adjust, and that's a very engaging process. Core drive four is ownership and possession, which is the concept that because you feel like you own something, you want to improve it, you want to protect it, and you want to get more. So this goes into a lot of things like like virtual goods, virtual currencies, um, wanting to make money or just wanting to win prize, prizes. Uh, but it also deals with more abstract things like if you if you spend a lot of your time um, customizing your profile or creating your avatar, you feel a more ownership towards it, and which is why you're you're engaged. Um, also collecting stamps, right? Very engaging. Uh, core job number five is social influence and relatedness. So that's you know what we understand pretty well. It deals with things like mentorship, envy, you know, group quests, things like that, peer pressure. But it also deals with the relatedness part, which is like nostalgia. Um, basically, like if you if you see a product that reminds you of your childhood, you have a better chance of wanting to buy it because it makes you feel connected to something. Also, also if you meet someone who has the same faith as you or um, who's from the same hometown, there's a higher chance you want to uh, strike up a deal with that person. So that's not, that's relatedness. Order number six is uh, scarcity and impatience. So that's the concept of because you, um, you want something just because you can't have it. So if like grapes are on the table, you don't care about those grapes. But if they're just beyond your reach, you're always thinking about the grapes. You know, are they sweet? Can you have them? When can you have them? Stuff like that. And uh, this is what you know. Companies like Facebook started with, right? Facebook said at the beginning only Harvard students can join, and then a few Ivy League schools, and then more. So when it opened up to UCLA, where I attended, uh, everyone was crazy because they always wanted to get in Facebook, but they couldn't. And so that's that's one of the powers of scarcity. Another thing is just game. What, what games do is they block people from playing these days. They say, hey, you can play for an hour, and then you have to come back, you know, five hours from now because your energy. You have to wait for your energy charge. You have to wait for your crops to grow out. Or you have to wait for health to, to, to come back. And then because they forcefully block you from playing more, people become obsessed. They're always thinking about it. They log in two, three, four hours later, even though it hasn't been they know it hasn't been five hours yet. So that being blocked from doing something makes you want to do it more. Uh, core drive number seven is unpredictability and curiosity. And uh, and that's the concept of because you don't know what's gonna happen next, uh, you're always thinking about it. And this is obviously something that's heavily used in the gambling industry, um, but anytime you have like a lottery system, a sweepstakes uh, system, you're utilizing this core drive. And there's a lot of research behind this core drive, the most famous one being the Skinner box, uh, which is, you know, scientists put an animal in a box and there's a lever in the box. The first experiment is that whenever the animal presses the lever, um, food comes out. So what you'll see there is the animal will press the lever until it's no longer hungry. and then. But when you switch the experiment to the point where when the animal press the lever, food may or may not come out, and sometimes to come out. What you'll see is that the animal constantly pressing the lever, regardless if it's hungry or not, because it's just like messing with its head, right? Will it come out? Will it come out? Will it come out? Um, so, so this the Skinner box experiment is is just perfectly just describing core drive number seven. But a lot of people also misunderstand that and think, oh, you know, gamification points points stuff badges is also the Skinner box, which were just actually incorrect in my opinion. The last and final core drive is loss and avoidance, um, which is um, uh, which is pretty straightforward. It's you wanna you want you're doing something because you're avoiding a loss. You don't want something bad to happen, and so that's you know that's very straightforward. And so those are the eight core drives, and then you know I also align them to to have left brain core drives, right brain, white head, black head, 
Uh, but I've been already going on for a while, so I'll let you guide where we're going. <laughs> well, I did want to get into the, the white hat, black hat. So go ahead and, and, and explain that to us. All right. So so all these eight core drives are organized on octagon shapes. Now, unfortunately, we can't see that on a, on a podcast. But basically, I line them to the point where the top ones, I call them white hat gamification core drives, and the bottom ones are black hat gamification core drives. So the top one, if you remember, epic meaning and calling, development accomplishment, and also empowerment of creativity and feedback. So what that means is if you're always doing something because you're part of a bigger vision, you're imp- and you're, you're improving yourself, you're achieving mastery, you're using your creativity, it feels very, very good and inspiring. It feels empowering. And But um, if you're doing something because of the bottom three core drives, loss and avoidance, scarcity, unpredictable. Like you're always doing something because you want to avoid a loss because you don't know what's going to happen next and you 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 uh, you can't have something, right? It's still very very powerful in motivation. You'll do the you'll you'll do the what I call the desired actions, but it sometimes leaves a bad taste in your mouth, right? Because you feel like you're not in control. And I think this is what this is the problem that Zynga uh, faces these days. Like Zynga has figure out how to master all these black hat game techniques. So they see amazing metrics off each user, you know, monetization, addictiveness, you know, retention, right? But again, because there's so much of this black hat game techniques without balancing out the white hat, people don't feel good. You know, a lot of people are playing these Zynga games for a year and they're like, oh, it's no longer fun anymore, but I just have to come back because I don't want my crops to die. And so when people can leave the system, they will want to, just like gambling. Right, you're stuck in gambling, but when one day you wake up, you have an epiphany. It's like I want to stop, and you stop. It feels very good. So usually, you want to at least balance the white hat with the black hat um, to create a, a compelling experience. Now, the reason why the black hat is is very useful too is because white hat makes people in, inspired, but it, but it doesn't add any urgency to it. Like if you can convince people, hey, go out and change the world, they'd be like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to change the world. But they're like, well, but I'm first going to you know, brush my teeth and eat my breakfast. And, but I'm still excited about it, right? Black Hat Gamification, let's just say, hey, if you don't change the world, if you don't go out and change the world now, I'm going to punch you in the face. Right? They're like, oh, oh crap, I, or I'm going to shoot you or whatever. And they're like, oh, crap, <laughs> I'm going to do it now. I'm, gonna, I'm, I, I'm not going to brush my teeth anymore, right? So, so, so Black Hat is good in terms of making you do things now. But white hat really makes you feel better about doing it because, again, you feel more in control of your act of your actions. Um, another thing that's related to that topic is the left brain versus right brain uh, core drives, which you know, left brain is on the left, which are things that deal with logic, calculations, ownership. The ones on the right are more right brain, which is creativity and social. And what's interesting there is I've also noticed a tendency that the left brain core drives deal with more um, extrinsic motivation. So ownership and possession, development accomplishment, and um, scarcity. Those are things that you want to get, right? You, you want to improve. You want to hit the goal. You want to feel accomplished. Those are more extrinsic because that's, you know, it doesn't matter what the task is. You're focused on what you're going to get after that, the reward. But the ones on the right brain tend to be more intrinsic. So you don't necessarily need a reward to do something creative. That's fun of itself. Or you don't need to have to get anything out of hanging out with friends. And also you don't need a reward necessarily to, to feel the suspense of unpredictability. Like, you know, it's, you know, most people know they're not going to win in, in a casino, but you know, they like the feeling, right? Gambling without the the the, the suspense is, is just losing money slowly. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. you so, so is it possible that you try to create a gamified application that 
scores high in all these, or is that unrealistic? Generally, it's unrealistic. Uh, it's really, really, it's really, really hard to to do well in just one, like let alone all of them, right? And so, what I like to do is I like to find things that are already very popular, very addicting. Everyone's using it, and just chart out Doctalis's chart, right? If you if you go to Talus.com, you'll see I chart out what is what is the shape, what does the octagon shape look like for Facebook or Farmville or whatnot, and see what core drives it stronger in. And if you look at those, you know, none of those are perfect, right? A perfect score would be 800, but they're, all of them, I think, are less than 500. Uh, and they're, always, they're already the most popular ones out there. So most, most, if I just take a random product and I look at it, it's, it's, you know, I'm, it's probably going to have one or two core drives that does all right, and then, and then the rest are really crappy. So, and, and that's, that's something that's pretty exciting because that means this entire industry is still relatively greenfield. Right, it means everything out there is so preliminary. No one understands this very well yet, so that's why it's so fascinating for me to study what works, what doesn't work, and to try to bring them into actual experiences and products. On your website, Yukai, you have a, a comprehensive list of over ninety case studies with ROI stats, and specifically looking at the category of workplace gamification, I'm interested to know what are some of your favorite examples and, and how, how would they measure up with this Octalysis framework? Okay. Well, honestly, um, again, like I said, the gamification industry is very preliminary and a lot of, and, and, and I think there's a lot of things that's understood, but not implemented well yet. So, so I created this, this page of 90 plus gamification with stats and figures, mostly because, um, you know, I, a lot of companies are asking about this. You know, a lot of people who are excited about gamification need corporate buy-in. They need to give their executive something that says, hey, look, it does drive ROI. Cisco's using it, and it made them money, right? And so mm-hmm. so it's not just playing games and, and something boring. So that's why I put together this page. But I will say that there there's not a lot of these examples that make me particularly excited. I think it's just they got some basic stuff done right. And, you know, some of them, a lot of them are. Uh, related to point systems or badges systems, um, but you know it's it's hard to find ones that are really really awesome. Like you know, there's the ones that are just number wise metrics are really successful. Like SAP SAP Community Network, which is uh, something spearheaded by my colleague Mario. You know they, you know they were just trying to really uh, increase engagement on their platform and understand who who the who the real experts are because when you have it. Enterprise that's like huge. You know, there's experts in our, in your company that knows things uh, that you need to know, but you have no idea who these people are. So they just create a gamified system with with a lot of um, rep, with a reputation system, leveling and badges, and then actively like within a few weeks improve their their uh, usage by four hundred percent and feedback by ninety six percent. Right, and and this is not some random startup with ten guys, you know, with 10, 10 users increasing to fourteen or forty. Uh, this SAP, right? They spend you know decades optimizing all these things, and for a big company like that, if you improve anything by two to five percent, eight percent, you know that's that that's really good. So let alone four hundred percent in 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 a few weeks. So you know, it's it, there's a lot of these interesting numbers, um, but I'd say there there are other really cool things like. Um, and, and I think that the coolest examples actually don't necessarily have numbers attached to them in the sense of ROI. Uh, for instance, what I really like is um, the way Microsoft tried to um, 
try to get everyone to 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 fix the problems with with localized languages. So they created a competition between each office, saying, "Hey, you know, look at look at the translations we had, you know, you know, for for your for your own country, your own language, and try to make edits and make it more personal, you know, make it more interesting, not just formal corporate text." And and because it's it's it, again, it utilizes these core, eight core drives, right? It's it's based. People say, "All right, we." You know, we want to prove that our, you know, our country is better than the than the other country. Like the, the Japanese office is better than the, than the Korean office, or the Spanish is better than the U.S. Whatever people have some epic meaning and calling to it, it's something bigger than themselves, and they feel accomplished, right? They keep track of how many how many bugs they correct or how many things they fix. There is some level of empowerment of creative feedback. You're thinking, oh, you know, I understand what the sentence says, but how to make it even better? How to make it more enticing, right, or clear, right? There's ownership. You know, this is your project. You want to improve it. Social influence, right? You're, you know, in the office. This is a project across the office. You, you know what your colleagues are doing, so you kind of want you have a little little competition within your office too. You know, there's some unpredictable. You never know what you're going to find. Loss and avoidance. You just want to, don't want to look at that. So there's a few of these core drives, and what what they've seen is I think you know forty thousand. Uh, edits would made really quickly, and the winning office was the chip Japanese office because they they had such such a big epic and meaning call, epic meaning calling inside of them that the entire office took entire day off just to do this. And and generally, you know, this is really boring stuff. This is a grunt work, right? Just <laughs> reading text, correct it, right? And and they and they have they they use the game fights to get everyone to dedicate a lot of time to do all this grunt work, which which I thought was amazing. You, one thing you hear a lot is that a game gamification is not going to work unless you have a true game designer on the team. And uh, Rajat Paharia from Bunchball has kind of taken a contrarian stance on that I've, uh, th- earlier this year and said it's not really about game design, and that's not. It's really more of a business issue. And I'm wondering what your perspective is, since your original interest was as a game player and designer. Okay, so so there's a few things to cover on this point. Uh, first of all, Rajat, I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's really good at what he does. Um, but everything he publishes has has to favor Bunchball, his company, right? Mm-hmm. And and so Bunchball is a gamification platform that. That creates game engines and makes company implement gamification more easily. So a lot of companies do come to me and say, "Hey, Kai, you know, which platforms should we use? Right? What do you think about these platforms?" And to me, this is kind of like the difference. And I, and I really think a you know these platforms in the gaming world is like a game engine. So game engines are those like three D engines or whatnot. What you see is game engines allow you to build a really cool game, but just because you have a game engine just doesn't mean you have a great game. So you've se- you you probably have seen games with amazing graphics, you know, all this three D stuff, cool stuff, but no one plays. It's boring. And then you see like games with almost no graphics, no animation, like mud games or just text pure text games, and a lot of people are addicted to it. So clearly, what you see is that what makes a game addicting is not the graphics or the rules or engines or like I said, points, badges, leaderboards. So I think, I think, um, platforms like Badgeville or Bunchball, they allow you to bring up, bring in all these game elements, which is great, but it still requires better game experience design. And then, so this to me is kind of like the artist versus the, the business person inside of me, right? The artist wants to handcraft the perfect solution for each client. And the business person wants to create 
the most generic product that he can sell to a million people. And I think the um, so so now that I'm more independent, I'm not part of a startup or anything. You know, I can I, I really like to focus on the artist point of view. And so back to the key point of, of your question. So gamification is a combination of a lot of different fields. It's a combination of obviously game design, game dynamics, but also behavioral economics, motivational psychology, you know, be, uh, neuroscience, you know, biochemistry, which is, you know, dopamine stuff that we have to study. Also, um, business, um, business technology applications as well as business system for an ROI. So what's interesting is that games have all of, this, all of the above besides the last one. There's no business systems that drive ROI, right? So I believe that gamification is two parts. One is to master all the stuff, understand all the stuff in games, like I said, behavioral economics, motivation, psychology, all those things, social dynamics, and then pour that, apply that into business systems. And so what Rajad is arguing is that a lot of people might be really good at all of the all all of the rest, the gaming stuff, but they have no idea how to bring that into a business application because because again, a lot of game designers focus on um, just engaging users indefinitely without a real, uh, real per ROI purpose in mind, and they don't understand how large corporations work. A lot of them don't understand how large corporations work, how to drive these KPIs and whatnot. And so that's what is argued. And I would say that you know, I would I would say that hey, there's two parts, right? If you mastered one part already, it's you know you have you. You have a strong advantage to master the second part too, hence being good at gamification. And I think it's—I I actually think it's easier for a very good game designer to come into gamification, and understand the business system driving ROI, than someone who just who just understands business but has not touched games and try to go into to the gaming industry and master how to do gamification. Um, partially because you know most of it has have like decades of gaming experience we've already learned so much about it right and that's really hard for someone who doesn't have any of it to catch up whereas business systems and you know people who create games they also understand some business metrics right they obviously need to increase user metrics you know and also and also revenue so so i think so i don't completely agree with rajat but i understand where that's coming from and i also agree that yes a lot of game designers when they try to do gamification um they fall short but that's like everyone also Yukai, how can people find out more about you and your work and get in touch with you? Cool, yeah. So you can definitely check out a lot more about my work on Octalysis. You know, there's you know more levels. We've only talked about level one Octalysis. There are five levels in total. Uh, so a lot to learn uh, at, at my website, which is yukaichow.com, Y-U-K-A-I-C-H-O-U.com. And you can also uh, email me at yukai, Y-U-K-A-I, at yukaichow.com. Um, and I and I'm usually pretty good at responding to all my emails, but it's it's uh, it's becoming a little bit harder. But but I try my best. Well, Yukai Chow, thank you for joining us on Game Changer. Thank you. It's a total pleasure being here. All right, Game Changers. That wraps up this episode. We'll provide the information and links that Yukai mentioned in our show notes for this episode. And we'll also include his social media information. Of course, if you just if you just Google Octalysis, you're going to come up with Yukai's website. So you feel free to do that too. But you can find our show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash GC22, as in Game Changer Episode 22. If you enjoy this series, be sure to check out the weekly leadership podcast, Engaging Leader, 
where my guests and I share more ways to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Until next time, remember, life is short, so keep it fun. You can find both Game Changer and Engaging Leader podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. To stay up on the latest news and trends in internal gamification, join the Game Changer group on LinkedIn. We'll automatically direct you to our LinkedIn group when you go to engagingleader.com group. Subscribe to our e-digest at engagingleader.com newsletter. When you do, we'll send you a free copy of Jesse's ebook, Eight Communication Tools for Leaders. You can also follow Jesse on Twitter, at Jesse Leahy, and like us at facebook.com slash engagingleader. Game Changer is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm that helps mid-sized and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, and Peter McIsaac, who composed our theme music. 